Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? You know what? I'm doing pretty good this week, Melissa. How are you? I am doing pretty good. Okay, sort of fine. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I um, got up this morning and I walked outside and I said to myself, is that a chill in the air? But um, it wasn't. It was only like 73 degrees. So it felt like it, there might have been. But I felt a little taste of maybe coming to the end of the summer. Uh-huh. Do you think I'm being too optimistic about it? I think you have a fever. I'm certain of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was rainy all day today. So it kind of gives you the illusion of it being a little cooler. And I think you're hoping. I'm hoping too. I am. They have pumpkin spice everything in stores already. Like I went to Wawa for coffee and they had pumpkin spice out. So I think I was just experiencing all of the like delusions of fall on right. the way and um, knowing dang well that that's not happening here in Florida. <laughs> I know. We have fall somewhere around Christmas Eve and then <laughs> yeah. we're right back into the summer after that. Yeah, I'm I'm ready for it. I'm we've we've done the summer stuff. Let's bring on fall. It's a while for us, but we will start getting those nice cooler mornings, which I live for those. Those will be super super nice. Me too. I know. I know. Um, it's crazy that we're almost in September, though. I was thinking about yes. that, too. Like, oh, my gosh. I feel like every year that I get older, I, I am reminded how fast a year goes by. But, man, the last two years have been like lightning speed. I don't know what happened to this whole year, like, to yeah. already be September. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, going into that last, you know, part of the year is just so crazy Q4. to even think about. Yeah. Yeah. Q4. Exactly. <laughs> I know. We're well and now it way. just gets really, everything speeds up at the end of the year. I don't know. This is the most, oh, we got to stop. We need to either call this old lady talk <laughs> or something, but this is weather and time. The it's two coffee things. coffee talk. Yeah. It's coffee talk. <laughs> sans coffee. Um, yeah. This is, okay, Mandy, let's get into the episode because this is just not going to we're just going to next start talking about like sunscreen or something. So just keep going. <laughs> All right. We'll get into the story this week then. It is a very interesting episode that we have this week. I'm really excited to do this one. Haley, our researcher, helped us with this one. And today is actually her birthday, the day that we're recording this on. So Yay. yeah. Yeah. So we really appreciate her and love her and celebrate her and hope she had a really great birthday. Right, Melissa? I'm okay. If she had an okay one, that's fine too. She's She's all right. I'm just awesome. kidding. I yeah. love her. She's great. <laughs> awesome. All right. So before we get into the episode this week, Melissa, I have a little 
surprise for you? Well, it's... <laughs> so anxious. It's, it's kind of a surprise. And it's loosely related to this episode. I mean loosely, very, very loosely. <laughs> like loosely when I try to bring in a last thing before we go that has something to do with things. Yeah. Okay. I, yes. I follow. Yes. Yes. So this is a little something I put together for you. <gasps> the people who miss the fun things in the beginning like... We Googled this city. We'll probably enjoy this. If you hated We Googled this city, you're probably going to hate this too. So but now they can hate you and not me. So I'm okay with it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, every now and then on the show, we have an episode where the people that are involved in the story have very similar names or it can get confusing. And so that is the case this week. And I thought we would just kind of do like a little icebreaker and kind of play a little game here, Melissa. We're going to call it a game of D's. Okay. Well, that. <laughs> I don't know how appropriate this is now. <laughs> okay, we're going to keep it appropriate. Okay. Um, <laughs> so we're going to do some dandy D words to deepen our vocabulary. This is perfect for you because it goes right along with your word a day calendar, except I'm going to give you like a week's worth of words. Perfect, because I definitely cannot find that calendar anymore. I think after about January 5th, I lost it. So um, I'm not doing so well. Okay, so here we go. So I'm going to tell you the definition or a clue, and you're going to tell me what you think the word is. And if you don't know the word, I'm, of course, just going to tell you what it is. But all of these words are going to start with the letter D. Okay. This is a lot of pressure. (laughs) Okay, here we go. So the first one, I'm going to start you off a little slow and easy. All right, first one. This word is often said when someone holds up two fingers like a peace sign while leaving a place. Deuces. Deuces, exactly. Okay, next clue. The knocking of fists together as a greeting or a form of respect. Dukes? No, that'd be like fighting. Dukes? Duke. <laughs> Dukes. What's, what is it? Daps. 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 Wait, yes. No. Perfect. Yes, it is. As a, a form of respect? Well, that that seems like the most disrespectful <laughs> thing somebody could do to me. <laughs> okay, well, I did get some of these um, definitions off of Urban Dictionary. So. I was, <laughs> <laughs> it was Reddit or Urban Dictionary. I was waiting to see which way we were going to go with this. Exactly. Okay. I love this. Keep going. <laughs> okay. So um, let's see. Okay, next one. To do something vigorously or with great energy and enthusiasm. I forget that I don't have choices. It's just a D. Okay, something <laughs> with great enthusiasm. Uh, dutifully, no. Dandily. You're never going to Darn tootin'. Darn tootin'. <laughs> no, so, so the word is dang swang. <laughs> dang swang. Dang swang. I can't even say it. Dang, dang swang? Dang swang. It means to do something vigorously or with great energy and enthusiasm. So there you go. You learned that on TikTok. (laughs) Maybe. Okay. (laughs) Okay, next one. A word for someone who never knows what's going on, but you love them anyway. Daive. (laughs) Daive? Is that even a word? It's like naive, but with a D. No, absolutely not. But it is today. Okay, the word is dingus. Okay, well, these are just getting, (laughs) these are worse than the other D words I thought you were going to make me do. Okay, so I have the last one then. All right. All right, so... This is a word, four letters, it starts with a D, and it ends with a K, and it's a word that is used to describe somebody who's being an idiot. Dork. Oh, man. Some dorky people are not idiots. That's not the word, but I can see where you were going with that. (laughs) Oh, I really was like, wow, she let me get the last one. Dink? Dunk? Dink. Yes, it is. It's dink. Dink. How did you know that word? Yes. (laughs) 
Wow. I'm like surprised. Of course I knew it. How did you know that? (laughs) I read that it was a New England term. Are you like a secret New Englander? I parked the car down the (laughs) 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 I don't even know what accent that was supposed to be, but wow, I'm so sorry. Okay, just get me out of this. Oh, I think I just guessed. I, okay. I didn't know we're that done. whatsoever. Just yes, keep we're going. done. So those were yes, those were some dandy D words to to make your vocabulary brighter. Um, okay, so that, like I said, had very little to do with the episode, except for the fact that this week's episode has a lot of D's. There's a lot of um, D names involved in this story, and it might get a little confusing. So that was just our way to kind of loosen things up and. Also apologize in advance if we say the wrong name. I we're gonna really try not to, and I will correct Melissa if she does, and she can correct me if I do. I will. But I'm correct not joking. You These twice. names are so similar. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So with all of that, we will get right into it, Melissa. It was February third, two thousand six, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, when a woman named Darlene Vandergeisen was first suspected missing after she failed to show up for work for two days in a row. Darlene, who was a 42-year-old woman who was deaf, hadn't shown up to her shifts at JD's House of Trophies, and she hadn't called in sick either. Having been employed with this company for over 13 years, and by all accounts being a really outstanding and very loyal worker, Darlene's boss just knew something was not right whenever she pulled this no-call, no-show. Although her boss was concerned, she decided to try contacting Darlene's parents first instead of the local police. Dee and Jean Vandergeisen lived in Rock Valley, Iowa, but as soon as they found out that their daughter had missed work, they headed straight to South Dakota to check up on her. When they arrived at Darlene's apartment, it was clear that something was amiss. Darlene was nowhere to be found, and her two cats seemed like they hadn't been tended to. They were fussing for food and attention as soon as Darlene's parents got inside. Darlene's cell phone was left in the apartment, and after looking around and determining that she hadn't left town without telling anyone, her parents notified the police that she was missing. Darlene was, as we said, a 42-year-old woman who was deaf. She was born on July 23, 1963, in Osborne, Kansas. It's unclear whether or not she was actually born deaf, but based on what we could find out about her life growing up, it does seem like she was deaf during her childhood and was more than likely born without hearing. Darlene had one sister named Sandra, and the family lived on a farm near Dispatch, Kansas, until 1968 when they loaded up and moved six hours away to Rock Valley, Iowa. Although Darlene was unable to hear, that didn't stop her personality from shining. She was a practical joker who loved life. Her family called her the spark plug of the family. She also loved Beanie Babies, and she collected them. Mandy, what is your relationship to the Beanie Babies? Beanie baby's craze of the 90s well i have a very strong relationship to it i was very <laughs> <laughs> i was involved yeah i was I you was, were involved was did involved. you dabble or were I, you involved i dabbled yes i did dabble in beanie babies i even had i was a member of the club stop it i was and uh, i collected the little mini babies from mcdonald's and everything and i had some beanie babies that i thought were going to be worth money one day until my mom decided to 
You get sound rid so of- salty already. <laughs> <laughs> she got rid of all the Beanie Babies without telling me. I just like one day was like, hey, what happened to all my Beanie Babies? And she was like, oh, I got rid of those years ago. And I was like, why? Like, why would you yeah. do that? And she was like, oh, those old dusty things were never going to be worth anything. So <laughs> that's my connection. She crushed your dreams. She and- did. <laughs> did you have a favorite one? Um, I did. So I – well – I loved the Princess Diana bear, the purple one. Sure. Um, ev- I think everyone loved that when they were a kid. But then my other favorite one was like the most random one. It was one of the original ones, I think, the moose. Aw. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have – I did not have Beanie Babies. I had friends that had them, and I remember of the Princess Diana one. I don't – I didn't know anybody that had it, anything like that. Could you even get them? Could you have a Princess Diana one, or was there like <laughs> I mean, three I had made? One. No, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I didn't have like one of three in the entire world. I had the, I mean, I don't know. I think they're like a dime. You can get them for like 10 cents now. It's not even a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Richie Rich. Um, no, I did not have them, but I think they seemed cool. I wanted them. They seemed cool, but uh, You were too also... old for them. Is that what you're saying? Shut up. <laughs> I did look to see when Beanie Babies are, was uh, around, like really popular, and it was like 1995. I was like, oh, I was 13. But I but I wasn't cool at 13. I wouldn't have been into <laughs> anything cool. Like, I still wanted Beanie Babies. I guarantee it. But yeah, I did not have any, but I'm very happy for you. Uh, and apparently, Darlene was super into Beanie Babies as well. Darlene also loved cats. She loved camping and playing cards. She attended high school at Iowa School for the Deaf in Council Bluffs, Iowa, where she graduated from in 1983 before going to a community college and receiving vocational training. Darlene had been a member of the South Dakota Association of the Deaf for 14 years and was also on a softball team for a local deaf association. She was actually very heavily involved in the deaf community. Darlene had steady employment at JD's House of Trophies and was really well-liked around the workplace. She was known for always being very friendly, always smiling, and having an outgoing personality. And if you're wondering, JD's House of Trophies is this kind of local place in Sioux Falls where companies and people can have all kinds of trophies and awards made. They have stuff like signage and tags, art glasses, laser gifts, you know, flag cases, medals, all that stuff. So not just like your run-of-the-mill uh, Dundee from Dunder Mifflin. Yeah. <laughs> but like really cool stuff, drinkware and clocks. So all kinds of things can be, I guess, engraved and used as trophies. Yeah. I went to their website and kind of got lost on there. They actually had a lot of products. And I was oh, like, that's cool. wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was really nothing in Darlene's background or social history that would give any clues as to where she might be. So the police immediately began searching for her when her parents reported her missing. Since Darlene's boss was the first one to raise the alarm, officers spoke to them and learned that Darlene was last seen leaving work at 5 p.m. on February 1st. A search of Darlene's house revealed little in the way of clues. The police did find a pack of cigarettes there that they knew did not belong to Darlene, but it would still take some investigative work to figure out if and how those were related to her disappearance. Other than this, officers didn't have much else to go on just yet, but it wouldn't be long before they got their first solid lead. Hours after Darlene was officially reported missing at around 10 p.m. on February 3rd, employees from a local pizza hut called the police to report that they had found this abandoned vehicle in their parking lot. When officers showed up to check it out, it was learned that the abandoned vehicle was a truck that was quickly determined to be Darlene's. Inside the truck, there really was nothing. 
Her keys, her house keys, wallet, and her ID were all missing. And as we said before, her parents found her purse in her home. So this was odd that her purse was at home, but none of her other belongings were, you know, with her purse or in her vehicle. An employee at the Pizza Hut told officers that the truck had been parked and left there since before 9 p.m. the previous Friday, which would be February 1st and also the last day that Darlene was seen. So the officers had a smaller window of time to work with when it came to exactly when and how Darlene went missing. They knew now that it was sometime between 5 and 9 p.m. on February the 1st. On February 4th, the authorities released a missing persons alert that asked the public to help by sharing any information they might have on Darlene's whereabouts. And they were specifically calling on people who were at that pizza hut that night between 6 and 9 p.m. They wanted them, even if they didn't think they knew anything, they wanted them to just call and talk to the police. The investigators also looked through Darlene's computer and text messages in the meantime, hoping to get another lead from there. And they did. They found that beginning in late January of that same year, Darlene started receiving emails from somebody with the username Wendy Smith. And spoiler alert, that is a fake name. In these emails, Wendy was using language that was insulting towards Darlene, such as calling her fat and saying that she had, quote, elephant feet and telling her to stop visiting the, quote, deaf apartments. So the deaf apartments were just a regular apartment complex, but there was a high level of deaf residents living there, and it was known in the Sioux Falls deaf community as the deaf apartments. It wasn't just an exclusive community for the deaf or anything. Anybody could live there. It just happened to be – there just happened to be a lot of deaf residents living there. Right. It was soon figured out that these emails were really sent from a computer belonging to a woman named Jackie Chessmore, and we'll get back to her in just a second. Officers also found another email that Darlene received on January 23rd from another woman named Daphne Wright, who they determined was a real person using her real name. And that email said, quote, Hi, this is Collins's lover, as you know, who I am, right? I am very disappointment in you because you always visit Collins when I am not there. Enough, please. Thanks. The nature of these emails prompted the police to look further into their origins and to make contact with the women who sent them. Clearly, there was some animosity behind these messages, and it was worth looking further into. On February the 7th, Daphne and Jackie both went to the Sioux Falls Police Department on their own free will for an interview. As it turned out, these women were all very closely connected and intertwined with each other, and officers were about to hear a really wild story. And we're going to get back into it after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Unless you're living under a rock, you may have noticed that prices on just about everything are going up. Gas, groceries, clothes, you name it, and it's likely more expensive than you remember. If you're like me, you're always looking for a way to save money, and Gabby wants to help you do that with your auto insurance. The way I used to check for my rates is to call tons of auto insurance companies, giving them all of my information and just waiting to see what quote they could give me. It took time and energy, and worst of all, it meant that I had to be on the phone way more than I ever wanted to. But now, thanks to Gabby, all the work is done for you in minutes, not days. Here's how it works. 
Gabby simply takes your current coverage and compares it with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, and Travelers. And they are the one true comparison platform that actually gives you fast, verifiable quotes, not some random ballpark guesses. And best of all, Gabby doesn't waste your time. Since I used my current coverage to search for rates, the only policies that I was shown were plans that were the same or better coverage than what I currently have, and some were even a lower price. Plus, Gabby's free to use, and they never sell your info, so you don't have to worry about even more spam or robocalls. When I learned about Gabby and saw that it said the process was quick, I wanted to see exactly how quick they meant, so I timed it. When I logged on to Gabby with my current information, within four minutes, I had five quotes, including quotes from Progressive and Nationwide, and was able to save $10 a month making a switch with my car insurance, saving me over $120 a year. And it's not just me. On average, people who switch to Gabby save $80 a month versus their current policy. It's not just us who loves Gabby. Gabby has been featured in TechCrunch, Forbes, and USA Today. Start saving on your auto insurance today. Go to Gabby.com slash moms to start saving today. It's totally free. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash moms. Gabby.com slash moms. There's never been a better time to take care of yourself than now. Whether something in your life is interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, the licensed professional therapists with BetterHelp want to help you become the best you this year. BetterHelp is professional counseling that you can do right from the comfort of your home through weekly video or phone sessions. I've used BetterHelp almost two years, and I can't tell you what a relief it is just to get all my thoughts out to a professional without ever having to leave the house. I deal with anxiety and depression and have most of my adult life, so just having someone I can talk through with scenarios or those immediate big problems that pop up in life has been really invaluable, especially this last year. Of course, anything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential. And best of all, BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Financial aid is also available. Whether you're struggling with family issues, sleep, stress, or more, BetterHelp will match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating with them in under 24 hours. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com moms. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot moms. Now back to the episode. So before the break, we were kind of introducing all the players in this story, and we were talking about 42-year-old Darlene who was missing. Um, at this point, the authorities have found her truck, and they've narrowed down her time of disappearance, as well as identified a couple of possible suspects, these two women named Jackie and Daphne. All these women are deaf, and they are active within the small deaf community in Sioux Falls. Officers found evidence in Darlene's emails and text messages that there was some animosity between her and these other two women who are now giving their interviews to police. So let's talk about Jackie and Daphne. At one point, these two were somewhat of a couple. They met through a chat room in 1998 or 1999, and eventually Jackie flew to Maryland where Daphne lived and the two started a relationship. After about a year of living in Maryland, the couple decided to move back to Sioux Falls, where Jackie was from, and they moved into a home she owned there in October of 2000. At some point, Jackie and Daphne actually broke off their relationship, but they were able to remain friends, which was a good thing for Daphne, who was relatively new to the area and still hadn't made a lot of friends. Daphne struggled to even find a job in Sioux Falls after she moved there, and she became less social within the deaf community than she had been when she had lived in Maryland. In August of 2002, Daphne finally met someone she was able to get closer with, a woman by the name of Sally Collins, who lived in Madison, Wisconsin. 
Daphne actually moved in with Sally in Wisconsin, and they lived together there for two years. Then, kind of randomly, in August of 2004, Daphne and Sally both moved back to Sioux Falls and lived in Jackie Cheshmore's house. So they this new couple moves back in with Daphne's ex-girlfriend. Right. So is everyone thoroughly confused at this point? <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're trying to figure out how all of this relates to Darlene and her disappearance, right? So we're getting there. So Daphne and Jackie used to be a couple. They break up. And now Daphne and her new girlfriend, Sally, are living with Jackie. And that's that. That's where we're at. So after about 13 months of this living arrangement, Sally decided to move out because she didn't get along with Jackie and her relationship with Daphne was over. So she decides there's no reason to stay living with, you know, in Jackie's house. So she's now living with her ex-girlfriend and her ex-girlfriend's ex-girlfriend and decides that she wants to leave. Yeah. (laughs) So Daphne and Sally stayed friends, or they at least tried to, but Daphne apparently kept telling people that they were still a couple even after they broke up. At this point, though, Sally moves out and she goes and gets an apartment at what's known as the deaf apartments that we were talking about before. So after moving in, Sally became friends with Darlene. So Sally's ex-girlfriend is Daphne. Now she's friends with a woman named Darlene. Darlene's the missing woman, and Daphne is Sally's now ex-girlfriend. This was really a platonic friendship. Darlene was a straight woman, and the two met playing cards. It wasn't, you know, any type of dating situation. They just both liked playing cards and hung out together. Nevertheless, though, Daphne became insanely jealous and thought that Darlene was trying to steal her woman, even though Sally says there's no romantic relationship between them anymore. And, you know, she's not interested in Darlene and she's not interested in Daphne, but Daphne just couldn't seem to understand this. So it's a lot of drama. Sally doesn't want to date Daphne and she's made that very clear. But Daphne's freaking out because Sally has this new friend who she sees as like a romantic rival, even though the two are not dating. Right. So on January 27th, 2006, five days before Darlene went missing, there was a little bit of a situation between Daphne, Darlene, and Sally. Darlene was over at Sally's apartment when Daphne showed up unannounced and unexpectedly, which I can safely say is never a good idea to do to someone. I, right. Please don't ever show up at my house unannounced. Ever, it's, ever, ever. don't. So according to Sally, when Daphne gets there and sees that Darlene is there, she completely goes off the deep end. And she started saying things like, why are you destroying our relationship? And she's just really losing it. Sally told Daphne that she needed to leave, but Daphne just sat down and refused to go anywhere. At this point, Sally just wanted all of this to end. It was really chaotic. So she, you know, asked Darlene to leave instead. Darlene agreed to leave, but as she was leaving, she flipped the middle finger at Daphne, which caused Daphne to stand up and make these motions like she was going to physically fight with Darlene. So Sally stepped in and grabbed Daphne while Darlene headed for the door. After Darlene was gone, Sally and Daphne stayed in the apartment and argued, mostly about Sally's new friendship with Darlene. Sally once again asked Daphne to leave, and Daphne refused. And when Sally tried to leave her own apartment, Daphne blocked the door and made it hard for her to open it. Eventually, Sally did get out, and she went to the neighbors where she called the police. Finally, officers were able to get Daphne to leave, but she was really, really mad. And on her way out, she told Sally that she would be, quote, very sorry. And it was just five days later that Darlene was seen for the last time. 
During their interviews with the police, Jackie and Daphne gave an account of what they were doing around the time that Darlene went missing. Jackie told officers that on February 3rd, she came home and saw Daphne cleaning and removing carpet remnants from the basement and saw Daphne loading bags of garbage and chunks of concrete into the back of her car. So Daphne told Jackie that she was taking this stuff to a dumpster that was in the neighborhood, but she didn't elaborate on exactly what she was doing or cleaning up. Because Daphne was deaf, a certified sign language interpreter was present for her interview with the police. Detective Olson conducted the interview with the help of the interpreter, and he told Daphne that he was investigating Darlene's disappearance and that she wasn't being charged with a crime at this time. He said that she was free to leave and could stop the interview whenever she wanted. However, he never did read her Miranda rights. During the interview, Daphne said that she did not send any emails to Darlene, but when Detective Olson told her that he had records that proved that she did, Daphne backtracked and admitted that she was the one to send the emails, not just from her own name, but she was also behind the emails from the fake name Wendy Smith. Daphne told officers that she met with Darlene at Pizza Hut on February the 1st. She did change her story about meeting with Darlene at Pizza Hut multiple times, but she always maintained that she had nothing to do with her disappearance and had no idea where she was. In the first version of her story, Daphne said she never met Darlene at Pizza Hut and that she last spoke to her on January 29th. Later, she said that she was supposed to meet Darlene at Pizza Hut, but she ran out of gas and she never went. And eventually, she admitted to meeting Darlene at Pizza Hut and said that they talked for about five minutes in the parking lot before Daphne realized that she didn't have enough money to actually stay and eat there, so she said they parted ways. According to Daphne, the whole time that she was with Darlene, they only talked about how Daphne felt that Darlene was trying to sabotage this relationship with Sally. Daphne admitted to Detective Olson that she thought Sally was cheating on her with Darlene. When Detective Olson asked Daphne why she kept changing the story, she claimed that it was because she was scared and felt like he was blaming her, and she said, I'm not guilty of anything. Detective Olson then asked Daphne if Darlene had ever been in her car, and she said no, and even offered to let the police search. After about two hours in the interview room, Daphne said that she wanted an attorney before she talked anymore. At this point, the officers decided not to continue the interview. They really had enough evidence between these emails and her inconsistent statements to issue a search warrant on her person, her home, and her vehicle. So even though she was no longer being interviewed, she really couldn't go home just yet because officers were going to be carrying out this warrant right away. So Daphne waited at the police station for five hours, but her house was still being searched after all that time, so she ended up staying the night at a hotel that night. While searching Daphne's vehicle, the officers noticed a reddish-colored stain on the bumper, which appeared like it could be blood. DNA testing confirmed that it was blood, and further testing revealed that it was Darlene's blood. While searching Daphne's house, police found more suspicious evidence. Remember, Daphne lives in Jackie's home, so in Daphne's bedroom, they searched and found a receipt from a hardware store that showed she purchased a 1.5 horsepower electric chainsaw on February 3rd. Another receipt from the same day showed that she bought black garbage bags from Walgreens. And yet another receipt showed that she went back to that same hardware store to buy chainsaw oil later that same day. In the basement at Jackie's house, there was an old coal room located in the basement where police found fresh blue paint on the floor. The officers lifted the paint. We think that was kind of like it was dry enough that they could kind of peel it back. And uh, 
when they lifted this paint, they could smell gasoline and said there were cut marks in the concrete floor consistent with a chainsaw blade. But the most incriminating thing found under the paint was traces of blood, blood that would later be confirmed to be Darlene's. Further searching revealed blood, muscle, and bone fragments belonging to Darlene as well. Upon finding this horrific evidence, officers spoke with Sally Collins. Sally told investigators that she and Daphne were in a relationship for about five years, but they had broken up for several months before Darlene was killed. She told the police that she was platonic friends with Darlene and there was nothing more. Sally also told officers about the incident between herself, Daphne, and Darlene on January 27th. When Sally told Daphne later on that Darlene had gone missing, she said that Daphne had no real reaction. Sally and Daphne even went to Darlene's family to console them, but according to Sally, Daphne really didn't want to stay long. Daphne gave Darlene's mom a hug and said she was sorry to hear that she was missing and that she would pray for Darlene's return. Sally and Daphne then went back to Sally's apartment and rented movies that night, but according to Sally, Daphne wasn't acting like herself. She was acting really nervous and she was chain smoking, but she kept insisting that there was nothing wrong. The blood test results officially came back on February 10th, proving that the DNA evidence found in the basement where Daphne lived was Darlene's. Daphne, who was just 42 at the time, was immediately arrested and indicted on charges of first-degree murder, second-degree felony murder, and aggravated kidnapping. And we've talked a little about Daphne, but we wanted to share a little bit about her, um, background. Uh, She was born in 1963, but at the age of 10 months, Daphne contracted rubella and actually lost her hearing permanently. When Daphne was six, she was hospitalized with yet another scary disease. She had hepatitis. During her time battling this, she really bonded with her father for really the first time in her life. Daphne's mother wasn't known to be a very loving mother. Uh, Despite Daphne being deaf from the time she was under a year old, Her mom actually didn't learn any sign language until Daphne was a teenager. Daphne went to a school for the deaf in North Carolina, but she was really far from being a star student. She acted out and she really got bad grades while she was there. While she was in high school, her father died after a battle with cancer, which led to Daphne becoming extremely depressed and engaging in acts of self-harm. She was eventually expelled from her school in her senior year. One acquaintance described her as being, quote, kind of odd, a little withdrawn, end quote. Some who knew Daphne felt like her anger stemmed from her father's death, as well as the many challenges she had faced in her life as not only a deaf woman, but also being a gay woman. Daphne was brought up in a Pentecostal family where same-gender relationships were not allowed. Daphne's mom refused to ever believe or accept that her daughter was a lesbian, but she did say that Daphne had a really rough time growing up. She was made fun of quite a bit for being deaf. And now here she is at the age of 42 being arrested for a murder that really had a lot of evidence against her. After Daphne was arrested, officers went to the hotel where she'd been staying while the police executed the warrant on her home and looked around there. In the trash can of the hotel room, they found a note written by Daphne that took up several pages of the small little days in notepad that was in the room. In the note, Daphne tried to explain several incriminating details in the case. Number one, she wrote that she was nervous, not because she was to blame for Darlene's disappearance, but because a man had been stalking and raping her for months. The second thing that she wrote was that this man was the same man who kidnapped Darlene. And she wrote on these papers that he kidnapped her because he thought Daphne told Darlene about his crimes. 
Daphne wrote, quote, maybe man frame me, question mark, he said wanted me to get out of SF, uh, Sioux Falls is what that would stand for. And then the third thing she wrote was that Daphne painted the basement not to cover up evidence, but because she wanted to sleep there. So it kind of appeared like she was writing, like, brainstorming stories, you know, for the police or, like, ways that she could explain away some of these things in the story. So on February 11th, investigators made huge progress in the case when Darlene's severed feet and lower legs were found in a garbage bag in a landfill. Her clothes, including an American Sign Language sweatshirt, were also found with these body parts. The sweatshirt was found to have DNA from both Darlene and Daphne on it. Ten days later, Darlene's torso was discovered in the landfill as well. Over a month later, on March 28th, a highway worker found Darlene's badly decomposed upper body in a ditch near Hills, Minnesota, which is just over the Minnesota border. There was a clear plastic bag with a drawstring tied around Darlene's neck and then a cord tied around that. The side of Darlene's face, neck, and some of the front of her body showed charring. In the landfill and in the ditch, investigators and forensic experts found a lot of physical evidence, including black garbage bags, just like the ones Daphne bought two days after Darlene's disappearance. They also found bedsheets and blankets that were confirmed to have come from Darlene's house in both of the locations where her body parts were found. In addition, the cord that was wrapped around Daphne's neck matched a spool of cord that was found in Darlene's garage, and carpet fibers next to Darlene's body in the landfill and in the ditch were similar to a piece found in Daphne's garage. They were never able to find the chainsaw used in Darlene's dismemberment, but they did find chainsaw oil in the dumpster outside of Daphne's house. Darlene's cause of death was determined to be either blunt force trauma or suffocation or both. The autopsy showed that Darlene received at least two blows to the head with a blunt object that left a seven-inch skull fracture. The plastic bag tied around her neck caused suffocation. So it seems pretty straightforward from this point. You know, they solve the crime, they have their perpetrator in custody, and this really should be a slam dunk for the prosecution, right? Well, sort of. There's really a lot more to get into about what happened after Daphne's arrest and during her trial, and we're going to get right back into it after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Many of us have fallen victim to fad diets throughout the years. One of my favorites that I fell for was a trendy juice cleanse. I lost weight quickly, but guess what? Just a week after I finished my cleanse, I gained all the weight back, plus two pounds. That's one of the many reasons I am so thankful to have found Noom. Noom isn't just about what you eat, but it's also about how you eat. With Noom, I'm learning about eating, my cravings, and how to make new habits for myself. While I had fast results on fad diets, the weight always came back on because I didn't know how to make new habits, but Noom is teaching me how. Part of Noom's goal is to help you learn to eat better to feel better. They want you to understand those cravings and learn how to shop for food for yourself. I also love that Noom teaches that no food is bad. Food is food. There's no punishing yourself for eating cookies or pizza, just encouragement to keep moving forward to feeling your best. I am inching to 40 years old and my body feels it every single day. My goal with Noom has simply been to feel better and to have more energy. And with Noom, I've been able to do just that. I'm about a year into better daily habits and I feel better than I did in my 20s. And so much of that is from what I've learned from Noom. Noom is based in psychology, so I'm learning why I make the choices I'm making and getting the tools to replace my old habits with healthier ones. And if you're looking for long-term success, look no further than Noom. Noomers are seeing so much success. 
Over 80% of all Noomers finish the program and over 60% have continued on with their goals for at least a year. Start building better habits for healthier long-term results. Sign up for your trial at Noom.com slash moms. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. Again, sign up for your trial at Noom.com slash moms. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. Most of us at this point understand the importance of using natural products in our homes, but the question becomes, where do you find them? Wouldn't it be great if there was someone that would just curate all of the highest quality, natural, and sustainably sourced items you need? Introducing Grove Collaborative. Grove is the one-stop shop for all my healthy home, beauty, and personal care products. And best of all, it's delivered directly to me and shipping is fast and free on your first order. One thing I've been looking to phase out in my home are those plastic sandwich bags. We use so, so many, and I would love to eliminate them in our house. And of course, Grove has the perfect solution with their Grove Co. reusable sandwich bags that are not only practical and reusable, but also super cute. There are tons of other brands that you know and trust on their site, like Mrs. Myers, Baby Gannix, and Method, all in one place at the click of a button. And you can browse by category, so if you're new to the site and just want to see the options that are available to you, in my opinion, it's a great way to start. Kind of like a Grove Co. 101. If you aren't sure where to start on your journey of going green, check out Grove's site. Every product is guaranteed to be good for you, your family, your home, and the planet. You can join over 2 million households who choose to shop sustainably at Grove. Choosing products that are better for you and the planet has never been easier. For a limited time, when our listeners go to grove.com mm, you will get to choose a free starter set with your first order. Go to grove.com mm to get your exclusive offer. That's grove.com mm. It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes... Not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me, and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable, and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now, baby butts rejoice. New Huggies Skin Essentials are here, a brand new dermatologist-approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great, gentle clean. Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. Now back to the episode. In the case against Daphne Wright, prosecutors make this big move and they actually wanted to seek the death penalty. This was the first time a woman in South Dakota would face the death penalty. There was also some discussion over whether Daphne's disability should preclude her from such punishments. The state said they were seeking the death penalty because, quote, we don't have different rules for different people. We don't have different rules for different groups, end quote. Disability rights activist groups even agreed with the state that equal rights for the deaf meant equal treatment everywhere, including in the courtroom. They said that if Daphne is charged with crimes that warrant a death sentence, then that's what the state should go after. Andrew Imperato, president and CEO of the American Association of People with Disabilities, told ABC News, quote, I think it's very dangerous to argue that deaf people, as a general matter, shouldn't be eligible for the death penalty. Making that argument involves saying that they are not aware of the consequences of their actions. It can reinforce stereotypes and lead to discrimination against deaf people, end quote. However, experts and scholars have actually agreed on this topic, that the deaf are at a disadvantage in the courtroom with or without an interpreter. 
Being at the mercy of a court interpreter is not a good position to be in. Having an interpreter doesn't change the fact that deaf people still don't have a native language, according to an expert in deafness, Professor Jeff Braden. For example, according to a study, if you asked a series of questions in English that took 42 minutes to say, it would take two hours to interpret that into sign language. So before Daphne went to trial, she was evaluated by a psychologist named Dr. Vernon, who determined that her reading level was the same as that of a third grader. The doctor concluded that Daphne had a good understanding of ASL and would be able to communicate very well with her attorneys, as well as even testify if she wanted to. Dr. Vernon did acknowledge, though, that Daphne may struggle to understand legal concepts since there are many legal terms that don't have a sign in sign language. But he also said that people who can hear and speak English also have problems grasping legal concepts, so this was no different. Dr. Vernon recommended that while Daphne was in court, she be given consecutive interpretation rather than simultaneous. The difference is that in consecutive interpretation, the interpreter listens to a portion of the testimony and then translates it all during a pause. Simultaneously is when the interpreter signs right along in real time. That's kind of what we see like in news reports or right. like uh, anything like that. You'll see simultaneous interpretation going on next to the speaker. So Daphne did ask the court if she could have consecutive interpretation following this doctor's recommendations, but her request was denied by the judge. In response to this, Daphne asked for a CDI, a certified deaf interpreter. A hearing had to be held in order to determine whether or not Daphne needed a CDI. A professor from the University of Wisconsin Law School testified that Daphne was really good at communicating in casual conversation, but when they tried to talk to her about what was going on with her case, the communication became very difficult and incomplete. At the end of this hearing, the court denied a CDI for Daphne and said they would provide other alternative accommodations. The court provided a CDI to help Daphne communicate with her attorneys before her trial, but that CDI would not be allowed in the courtroom. The court was going to provide Daphne with real-time captioning where every word the court reporter typed would be projected onto a computer screen for Daphne to read. The court was also granting Daphne's request to videotape the court proceedings for her to watch every evening and watch the interpreter's hands. Daphne was also told she could take breaks anytime she was struggling to understand what was going on. This is so overwhelming. I can't imagine being in this position. No, and it seems like a lot. Fighting for your life and you have to... You can't pay attention to anything else going on in the room. You can't miss anything. You've got to be so zoned in on what's going on. And and you're a few seconds behind on everything that's going on. So this is a really tough spot to have found herself in. And trying to, um, even trying to, with a third grade reading level, trying to keep up with right. reading the captioning that a court reporter is writing. There's going to be some big words and terminology in there. Yeah, very, very tough situation for her to be in, definitely. So Daphne's trial began on April 2nd, 2007, after almost a month of jury selection. The state said that Daphne was jealous of Sally's relationship with Darlene, so she tried to get Darlene away from Sally, and when that didn't work, she killed Darlene. Prosecutors said jealousy was the motive in the brutal killing. According to state attorneys, the threatening emails Daphne had sent to Darlene did not have the effect that she was going for, which led to the fight on January 27th and prosecutors pointed at this altercation as being proof of the motive in the crime. The state alleged that on February 1st, 2006, Daphne invited Darlene to Pizza Hut as a ruse to plan a Valentine's Day surprise for Sally, which I thought was weird. I mean, I don't know where they got that from. Maybe that's something they uncovered in the investigation, but if that was the case, 
that would be a little odd since they were just kind of fighting over Sally just five right. days earlier. So it doesn't make sense. Why would Darlene meet Daphne to plan a Valentine's Day surprise for Sally? Like that just seems like yeah. a very unlikely story. So Darlene left her job that evening at 5.07 p.m. And she went home and changed clothes and then drove to Pizza Hut for whatever reason to meet Daphne. From there, Daphne somehow forced Darlene into a car and hit her on the head with a blunt object before placing a plastic bag over her head and suffocating her. After Darlene was dead, Daphne attempted to burn her body, but when that was unsuccessful, she had to come up with another plan. Daphne had very little money, so she had to wait a few days until she got paid so she could buy the chainsaw, the chainsaw oil, and the garbage bags, which she used in the dismemberment of Darlene's body. Daphne dismembered the body in the basement and then painted the floor to cover up the evidence. She then loaded Darlene's body into garbage bags and put it in the back of her vehicle with some chunks of concrete, which she then dumped in multiple locations. And after she was done, she cleaned her car, or at least attempted to clean her car. As we said, they still did find some evidence there. The defense in the case said that, in their opinion, there really wasn't enough evidence to convict Daphne of any crime, and that the state's evidence merely focused on what happened after Darlene died, but none of it proved how she died or that Daphne kidnapped and killed her. They said that what happened to her body after she was dead was, quote, irrelevant and separate from the allegations of kidnapping and murder, which I see where they're going with that, like, from a legal standpoint, but, like, come on, that's just really such a stretch. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. So the defense said that the prosecutors took a few childish, insulting emails and turned them into a motive for murder, basically saying that it was ridiculous, you know, to even suggest this notion. They said the state had no explanation for why Darlene's cell phone was left in her apartment or why there was a pack of cigarettes there that was proven to not belong to Darlene or Daphne. Basically, they're trying to say, was there another person possibly involved right. in this? So Darlene had multiple ex-boyfriends that could have been potential suspects. Her sister Sandra had even told the police that she worried about Darlene because she met strange men online. The police said that they did speak to one ex-boyfriend before moving on to Daphne as their suspect, but the defense said that there were other leads police didn't pursue because they were so convinced that Daphne was their person. In an attempt to offer an alternative explanation to how Darlene died, the defense said that maybe she died in an accident, such as falling down the stairs that led to the basement in Jackie and Daphne's home. I don't know how that explains why she was dismembered, but right. they were saying maybe her actual death was an accident. Yeah. I mean, all they have to get is reasonable doubt. There right. just has to be another alternative and, you know, she can't be convicted. Right. So on April 12th, the jury deliberated for seven hours. Interestingly enough, the jury was made up of 11 women and just one man. They found Daphne guilty of first-degree murder, second-degree murder, and aggravated kidnapping. During the sentencing phase, the state told the jury that Daphne deserved to die for what she did. They were pursuing death by lethal injection, and they justified this punishment because they said, quote, the mutilation was the act of a depraved mind, end quote, and depravity of the mind beyond a reasonable doubt is the standard consideration of the death penalty in the state. The defense said that Daphne cut and burned Darlene's body as an afterthought and that the murder was an isolated act motivated by jealousy. They argued that the dismemberment was done out of necessity of needing to get a 200-pound woman out of the basement and not because she had gotten some kind of sick pleasure from the act of dismembering the body. I would totally agree with that. It seems like that was just right. like a panic, you got to get her out of there sort of thing. 
The defense pointed to Daphne's unfortunate upbringing and said she felt abandoned when her father died and again felt abandoned when Sally broke up with her. A psychologist testified that Daphne struggled to deal with new situations and solve problems. Her skills were, quote, fairly impaired, end quote, and her reasoning ability was, quote, borderline functioning, end quote. The jury spent another eight hours deliberating over the sentence. The jury believed that the state did prove that Daphne had a depraved mind, but they did not want her to receive the death penalty. On April 18, 2007, she was sentenced to concurrent life without parole sentences for first-degree murder and aggravated kidnapping. The judge did not sentence her in the second-degree murder conviction. After the sentencing, Darlene's mom told Daphne that Darlene's family forgave her and prayed for her. Darlene's mom even told Daphne's mom that, quote, we both have lost our daughters, end quote. Wow. Daphne did later appeal her conviction on multiple grounds, including that the trial court should have allowed her to have consecutive interpretation and a CDI and that there was insufficient evidence to support all three convictions. Daphne said her constitutional rights were violated when they refused to give her a CDI because it prevented her from exercising her other rights to confront witnesses, to be present at trial and assist in the defense, and to understand the nature and cause of the charges. Experts suggested that she should have had a CDI, but yet she wasn't allowed to have one. So I can see where they took this angle for her appeal, for sure. Absolutely. For the other part, Daphne felt that she shouldn't have been found guilty because there was no proof of premeditation, no murder weapon, no plan to kill Darlene, and no explanation for how she received the head injuries that she had. She said there was no evidence to support a kidnapping either and insufficient evidence to prove even a second-degree murder. In June of 2009, the South Dakota Supreme Court finally heard the case, and in the end, they affirmed Daphne's conviction and sentence. Daphne is currently incarcerated in the South Dakota Women's Prison in Pierre, South Dakota. She was the sixth woman to arrive there to serve a life sentence. For day-to-day communication, Daphne writes notes back and forth to the staff, and if there is an important matter to deal with, such as a disciplinary hearing or medical appointments and assessments, then an interpreter is brought in to help Daphne communicate. The prison also has special equipment for use by people with hearing impairments, as well as TVs with closed captioning. Wow, I can see where the defense had several grounds for appeals. I personally feel like her whole process in court without having a CDI, I think that was wrong. There's no way she was able to understand everything that was going on, not because she was deaf, but because she, like you were saying before, her um, reading level was that of a third grader. So she's likely not going to be able to keep up with everything going on the screen. So she's not getting all of the information um, as it's coming in. I think it's great that they let her review videos and stuff after, but it's, I don't know. I feel like if the doctor recommended that, then I don't really see what the harm would have been in doing that. I could be totally off on this, but that's, that's my opinion on that. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you there. And what Darlene's mom said was really compassionate to reach out to Daphne's mom. Yeah, just that um, got my heart hearing the mom offer forgiveness and kind words to the other mom. Yeah, we always love hearing that kind of stuff in a story when a victim, really, you know, these families that have lost their loved ones are victims in these crimes too. And so it always is really special when you can um, hear a story where they're able to have the strength really to – to kind of give that like word of encouragement to, you know, to the parent of the person responsible for this. It's like, cause it is for them too. You know, it's like, yeah, 
Ugh, eek, yikes, she did. Yes. They both lost their daughters. They did. Just in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Melissa, are you ready to turn the page and move on to the last thing before we go? Before we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that sounds good. And just a reminder, if you have subscribed to our Patreon on, on September 1st, the the tiers are going to change a little bit. If you're already in there, you're locked in. But we're adding a video element this month. So if you're on there at the $5 and up level right now, you're good. You're, yeah. You'll start seeing videos this month. Soon. Um, very, very yes. soon. <laughs> Next month it changes a little bit, but that will be there um, as well. So that's patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. All right. Let's do last thing before we go. Mandy, this is, I think it might be an improv game. Um, just we're going to go back and forth. We'll, I don't know if you have a subject, but you can come up with something while I give you mine. Uh, we'll each do one word back and forth, writing a story of sorts. Okay. Um, see how it goes. Okay. I tried this with my husband earlier. It went okay. It, it <laughs> my son tried to join and he just got mad at the story we were telling. So it wasn't as fun. So don't get mad. Okay. So I'm going to say my subject for our first one, we are just going to tell a simple story about grocery shopping. Oh, yay. I love that. Perfect. Okay. So I'll start with the first word. Today, we went to the best grocery store. And bought 100 bags of Pringles. <laughs> <laughs> nope. You get one word there. You can have bags. I'm okay. not giving you Pringles. All right. Fine. Bags. Of? Pringles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why would anyone do such a thing? Next. We left the store. And drove to the pond to feed the children (laughs) (laughs) who were playing with (laughs) ducks. Oh, I thought you were going to give me a the. I was going to really screw up the story. Um, Okay. The ducks ate so Many pieces of <laughs> rice. No, that's not good. We don't want to feed the ducks rice. And you bought 100 ba- bags of Pringles. There's children that the ducks can eat and Pringles they can eat. And why, you said would they, rice. why would they eat children? Because it's a story. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. We're going to have to change stories now. Fine. They ate rice. All right. Okay. What's your subject? The ducks went and ate rice. Okay. Got it. My story is going to be about a trip to the dentist. Oh, fantastic. All right. First word. Yesterday. I. Had. My. Teeth. Removed. (laughs) This. Was. A. Terrible. Idea. (laughs) My mouth was open, obviously, (laughs) for 17 hours. I hate the way my (laughs) smile smells. (laughs) What? (laughs) 
Now, I have a headache, obviously, (laughs) (laughs) and also no teeth. (laughs) Try and get it there. I'm not going to join you. Okay, I've lost track of our story. Okay, um, I think we should not quit our day jobs to go improv stories. No, improv stories <laughs> might not be the route for us. But I love the idea of like you're trying to get the story to go another way. And if somebody says one word, you're like, all right, here's where we're going it's, now. It's right? Fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, before we go, we're going to play the promo for a show called Wife of Crime, where the wife tells the husband all about a crime and he kind of reacts to it, kind of like how you guys do after you listen to our story and you try and tell your significant other and their natural reaction. So that is what we are playing now. So make sure you stick around to check it out. Um, uh, Criminality, my other show, has a new episode on Sean Stewart, son of Rod Stewart. And I got to say the phrase bumping ugly. So that was fun. Oh, my goodness. Um, Yeah, you know, it's always appropriate when I do that. Um, Yeah, and that's it. Awesome. Yeah, cool. Okay, so Melissa, I just want to say for everyone to hear, I have started watching White Lotus. I texted you earlier and (gasps) um, told you that I have watched the first two episodes. So actually, after we're done here, I'm going to go continue on so that we can discuss it together. Can I – Give you a new show that I need you to watch too. Listen, whenever you're one, done with this. Sh- one at a time, one at a time. I think. But there's you only... gotta be. I Just... need you to be up on these shows as they're happening okay. because that's whenever it's good on like Twitter and you okay. Get the okay, memes tell me. Stuff. Tell me. Tell me the other okay. one. Okay, this one's called Nine Perfect Strangers. It's on Hulu. It is kind of White Lotus esque. Nicole Kidman's in it. Melissa McCarthy. It's like they're at this retreat, like to get better, but it's really weird and bizarre. And I imagine it's what Goop like Gwyneth Paltrow's thing. I imagine it's like goop. real life goop. Her whole magazine and lifestyle brand. It's very that. Drinking lots of smoothies. It's it's an interesting story, but it's all nine different people and this retreat. And so it's interesting. So that's a weekly show. So when you finish White Lotus, I need you to start on this because you have to like appreciate my recommendations at this point. They're very, very good. I do appreciate them, but I think that you are – Careful. You're, uh, I gave you an inch and you're trying to take a mile, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I really am a little – now I'm just on on for it. So, okay. Well, we'll keep talking about White Lotus. I'll have to read a report just to remember what was happening. That was so two weeks ago. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Hey everyone, my name is Jess, and I'm the co-host of a weekly true crime podcast called Wife of Crime. Every week, I tell my husband one of my favorite true crime stories, and he reacts to them. Sometimes, I get mad at him. You're going to really regret all of this judginess that you're doing right now once I tell you this story, because you're being very judgmental. Obviously, something bad's going to happen. She's making a lot of bad decisions. Well, you're being very judgmental. Stop. And sometimes he makes really weird noises. Oh. He now thinks that he's an FBI profiler. Yeah. How about no. that? Rust a profiler placebo oh. effect. <laughs> but most of the time, he just has really funny color commentary. Wow, so he's sitting in his human leather chair eating fruity pebbles out of a skull. <laughs> You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts and check us out on Instagram at Wife of Crime Pod. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. 
please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.